0: Hello, and welcome to the Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. Now, in this podcast series, I am chatting with experts from around the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, their techniques, their methods, their magic sauce, if you like, for creating learning solutions that truly stick. Now, unlike the previous 17 episodes, I'm not introducing something new here. We're actually going to take a step back and review all of those 17 episodes, much as we did at the end of season one. And so as a result of that, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming back Emma Spence, who did exactly the same for us at the end of season one. Emma, thank you so much for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. Good morning. Or good afternoon, depending (laughs) on what side of the
0: pond we are. Good morning for you, because you're in beautiful San Diego, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Emma, now there might be just the odd individual somewhere on this planet that hasn't listened to season one, possibly. So they may not be as familiar with you as I am. So maybe just a little bit of your background of, uh, of your journey through life as to where you are now, especially with the learning context. And then we can dig into these, uh, these 17 episodes that we've got to review. <laughs>
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely to be back on your show. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've i run a, a business for the last 20 years uh, with my husband and a luxury travel business. So I've been through the journey of setting up a business, taking on staff um, and uh, tra- training some of them badly um, some of the time. Um, had the pleasure of meeting you some so six years ago when you did training with us. Um, Learned a lot from that and you inspired me to train as a, a coach something I've been doing for over the last couple of years, um, both in person and online, which is relevant for what we're talking about today, I guess. Um, I'm now currently working um, in the nonprofit world uh, in, a, in quite a large nonprofit um, in San Diego. and I'm involved in people and learning. So um, yeah, my journey continues.
0: Fantastic. And and what's the phrase? For transparency purposes, people should be should be aware that you, Emma, sometimes take on the role of my coach, don't you? And help me <laughs> un- unpack some of the, the challenges of running my business. So, practice,
1: practice, practice.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Emma, um, 17 episodes and quite a lot of variety in this season. Yeah. Um, where should we start?
1: Well, perhaps what sort of, you know, sticks with me, because every, every episode I feel like they're spe- they're speaking to me um and I'm and it uh, and I like oh that's a fantastic idea that would be a great way to learn um so perhaps we can just talk about the approach to learning um what works for some people what doesn't um and and how many what a variety there is out there um for learning
0: absolutely and we've um we've covered off quite a variety of approaches and and also different elements of making sure that learning really, really works, whatever that approach is, isn't there? So we've looked at things like practice. We've looked at things like reflection. And then we've looked at those real differences. So learning that works for introverts. We've looked at learning through the body, haven't we? That lovely phrase of Lena saying, we don't just learn from the neck up, which has really stuck with me, even though that was the last episode. Um, And we've learned, um, and maybe the other context we should explore a little bit as well is since the last episode although all seasons have been recorded during this pandemic um you know the the sort of level of comfort and acceptance around virtual as part of learning has become much more embedded as well hasn't it
1: yeah and lots of benefits of being able to do it that way you know people you know you were talking to people based in Asia based in America um people who didn't have to get on planes anymore to go and deliver at great expense to their clients and um, their training and could do it in many cases much better um, on online. Um, you know, Pete Hamill was talking a lot about how he was using technology to really connect with the you know the the people in the room, take them to the camp, a virtual campfire. I mean when I was when he was talking about that, I was thinking of you know festival and tents, you know, they're not they're not breakout rooms anymore. They're campfires they're, They can be whatever you want them to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, the technology is is accelerating at a rapid rate. And, and I think that um, one of the great parts of that as well is that probably at the start of this whole shift to virtual, we were using technology that really had been designed for something else such as meetings um, rather than things that had been designed specifically for learning or for workshops. Whereas now we're seeing much more um, development around virtual platforms that are designed specifically for learning, that, like you said, bring much more variety into those areas. There's a great one coming out soon that people can just move by choice around different breakout areas based on the subject matter that's going on and discussions in there. So much more like a sort of learning environment might be in a traditional workshop, which is which is fantastic progress. Yeah.
1: And I think, I think the, the point of people having Zoom fatigue uh, can't be underestimated. And also everybody is overwhelmed um, with, with information, their jobs at the moment. Um, and I think some, well, a lot of this training could be a relief for people, Can be somewhere where they can actually relax a little and let their brain absorb. And that's where a lot of the reflection comes in, leaving space, for people to to learn, leaving space for people to think deeply about what they're doing, how they're reacting, what their immediate reaction is. Um, I think it was, I can't remember who was saying that you know, we get into such a, um, a habit of thinking one way, um, and it's very hard when you're going at 100 miles an hour to, to change that, so this can really provide that space.
0: Absolutely. And uh, that was Sam Sloan, I think we were talking about reflection. And I think one of the really, you know, it almost sounds obvious, but one of the really important points that came out of that conversation was around almost a sense of deliberate enforced reflection in some way you know we understand at a deep level that reflection as a habit works extraordinarily well in learning regardless of your preferences or your trait or your personality type anything like that reflection works really well and something sam does in her programs is i think the phrase she used it's baked into the dna of her programs that there is reflection time in there And that's not always just on an individual level. Often we consider reflection to be an individual process, isn't it? If I think back to my early days as a facilitator when I really was quite green, I would just sort of hope and assume that people would reflect on the train home at the end of the (laughs) day. Whereas, of course, they're probably doing a million other things. Um, And and what she does is really builds in... um, clear, scheduled, organised reflection, sometimes as groups, sometimes in pairs, sometimes as individuals, Um, and and such a crucial part of anybody's learning journey. Um, Some might be more uncomfortable doing it than others, um, but but shouldn't just be left to chance at all.
1: There's definitely a thread that runs through pretty much everybody that says we, we are all programmed to fill the space, fill the time. We have to be... It, you know, we're not delivering something with value unless we're, you know, we're filling it with content. And I definitely came away with the feeling that, you know, the more space, the better, even if that feels counterproductive. Um,
0: that, do you know that, that, actually, well, that, that leads me to a it's one of the other... It's, it's sort of a, a tangential theme that, is, as I look back through the 17 episodes that came through as well, about how much... Um, where learning really, really works, so sure reflection is a key part of it, but how much it's led by the learner. and again, right. on picking up on your point about value, you know as facilitators and trainers, it's easy to perceive that our value is like pushing loads of stuff out, creating loads of content, forcing loads of stuff to happen rather than actually stepping back and helping someone become a high-performing learner, someone be able to lead their learning. So as a facilitator, they demand of you what they need rather than the other way around.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's the theme, I think, that's come through a few of these, uh, few of these models. One of the, that you mentioned when we were chatting before about the uh, the ABT model that Sarah, Jane and David talk about, the right. and, but uh, therefore. Um, and, and I know from your point of view as a coach, it would have resonated to you because this wasn't, powerpoints telling people what they need to learn this is very much collaborative learning and it's its absolute best
1: yeah and right from very simple examples um all the way through to solving very complex problems you know what yeah. a fantastic tool to have in a business in a boardroom in life
0: and and if you think of the way it's structured it's it's it, 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 it would almost be impossible to um to lecture that model you know you have to get people involved in it because right. it's their and it's their but and it's their therefore so yeah, yeah. um they have to lead it and all you need to do is facilitate that as it goes through
1: mm. yeah that make that makes me think about um uh, when you know, you've got you've got a room full of expectant faces at the beginning of a, a training you know it's that participation it's the you know, how do you get them involved? Um, and a lot, a lot of your guests have different techniques on that. Um, you know, whether it's putting a box on your head or, you know, or embodiment, you know, moving around. Um, I remember that being a huge part of my coaching training that you would, you would get up and move around. You would, you, there was one exercise I remember where you, they got you to walk slowly around the room and how did you think? And then quicken, quicken your pace and then very, very fast. It's like, how does your brain work? How do you think? How do you communicate at those different speeds? And actually getting up and moving is such a huge part of everything we do.
0: Absolutely. And, and Lena, um, in episode 17, had some really good, really simple exercises around there that helped you really tune into how your body reacts to certain situations you might find cognitively difficult. And I think one, one classic example she's talking about is pushing against a wall. You know, go and stand against a wall and push against that wall <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and what does that feel like when you know? Because we can all talk sort of metaphorically about, oh, you know, there's no point arguing that person. It's like coming up against a brick wall. And so we know what that feels like in our brain. But how does Actually that? you know, what are do the, Yeah, what are the triggers? The triggers inside our brain. Yeah. Um, and and then you know, I, I think one of the, it's in its simplicity, one of my all-time favorite exercises that came out of a lot of these conversations was also Lena's about, um, and this will resonate with you with coaching is um, just at the very beginning of, of a journey that someone might go through with coaching is give, give, them, give two people together, give one of them a ball and tell the other they're the coach and then get them to throw that ball against a tree and the other person needs to coach them how they can hit that tree and catch it every time yeah and you know what people are going to do they're going to throw it with your right hand or throw it more accurate right they're going to tell, <laughs> tell 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 aren't they such a simple exercise but all about movement and all about bringing to life exactly how um how that movement replicates itself in our behaviors in, in different environments.
1: Mm. yeah reminds me of that video i think it was a youtube video about the two people teaching somebody to, to do a golf swing and one tells them <laughs> how to do it one asks them to try
0: things ask them to try it out actually and, and i mean that leads me to i mean yeah. I, I always love talking to Phil Allen. We, we, he was in season one. He's in season two as well when mm. we talk about practice. And, you know, just like reflection, he has a real mantra. It's a brilliant mantra about deliberate practice. And that almost, you know, practice is the starting point of the design of any learning program. Yeah. And, and and everything else just fits around it. Whereas I think a lot of facilitators, they're really honest with themselves, would say they design a learning program and then try and fit practice in there at some point.
1: And if we we learn to play a sport, I mean, pickleball happens to be my sport right now. There's a lot of muscle memory that comes into play there. And it's no different when it comes to to training or trying a different way of doing things.
0: Well, I think as well, it's the it's the only really genuine way I think exists for people to get a true baseline of where they're at in something. Until you practice it, and this is why I like the the, the other of Phil's phrase, which is start with practice. You know, before they do anything, before any beautiful content comes in, or any theory, or any models, or any group discussion, start with a practice session. I mean, you're not going to get a better baseline of what level you're currently at other than actually physically doing something.
1: Yeah. And if you do... Really spoke to me. That was because uh, I, I I knew that feeling of of okay, you're going to sit in the room and ha- how long is it going to be until we sit where we sit here till somebody asks me to stand up and say my name. and where I'm from and that that horrible tingly feeling. was like oh, I'm next. I'm next. It gets it out of the way straight away. We've we've all know where we are. We've all done what we feel uncomfortable about, and then we start the day from the same level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know if you. If it's a longer program, even getting it done before, you know, almost as a first thing, something that came to my mind when I when I when I talked to Phil about this is how in reality, how can you design a really really effective learning journey for someone if you don't truly know where they're at right now? You know, the, the, their line manager or the, your client might say, "We need to, we need our managers to coach better." For example, uh, we need to have a coaching culture. All those lovely phrases that go out there. Um, the, the people going through the programme themselves might have varying different levels of belief in, in terms of whether they coach currently, how good they are at coaching, how impactful they are. But that practice session both shows them and the facilitator the true starting point. And that, I think, is from where you can start plotting actually the right learning journey to go through. Definitely.
1: One one thing that really occurred to me while you, while you were saying that was that... Um, my approach to all of this learning is like when people are coming in that first first time it's my assumption is always like it's the first time they've had access to this amazing training but then there's a whole group of people who have actually had the advantage of that training and they're further down their journey how you know how that approach and then some of your guests are you know, training people who are, you know, very high level and have had a lot of, you know, the, the advantage and, you know, privilege of having amazing training through their careers or their lives, um, how how then they approach it to people who are at that next stage.
0: Absolutely. And I don't think this is a comment from the podcast, but I, I, for from some people I really respect in learning, I hear this phrase often is like, don't assume that people are coming to you as an empty cup. Uh, And I think that's such a good mindset to have as a facilitator, you know, actually view them as full cups already. It's just helping work out what else is going to go in there that's going to make it an even richer sort of concoction, if you like, or mixture. Um, And I think there's um, a lot of truth in um, it was in the episode with Linda, Linda Holt, where, where she says, you know, Phil says, start with practice. Absolutely. I'm never going to disagree with that. But also there's almost a stage just slightly before that where she talks about start with connection. And I think this is something I'm really passionate about, that you get to know the people you're working with quite well, quite intimate, quite a deep level long before you get them into a room to start working as a group on whatever learning journey it is. And the better you know them at the beginning, then you'll know that level of experience. So, you'll be able to make sure that the work that you're doing with them is pitched at just that right level of stretch and challenge that's going to add value to their learning journey rather than being pitched too far above them or too below them or whatever that might be
1: and losing them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, starting with that connection, giving them a chance to practice that they've got good self awareness as to where they are um, sets up the learning to stick really, really well. You know, and a lot of this is. A lot of this is in advance. It, you know, you, all of the good stuff you can do in the sessions that you have with them and, and throughout the journey is great, but if we don't get that starting point right, um, yeah. the, the chances are those journeys are going to be quite blurred, I think.
1: Yeah. That's that's harder when you're training en masse. And like, you know, Linda Holt, for instance, when she's you know training people in, in healthcare.
0: Well, I think there's the en masse element, there's the the virtual element to this is still perceived as harder to create that connection than if you're in a room with someone, which I don't think necessarily is. We've all got used to using these virtual platforms there. Um, but I think it's almost, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's non-negotiable, really. If you want to, you know, if you think about, the trust someone puts into you. If, if, if I'm a learner going through a process where a facilitator is going to guide me, then I'm working with a group that are either a group of my peers that I work closely with, or maybe a group of strangers that come from different organisations, For me to lean into that learning process, I've got to have a lot of trust that it's going to be, and this is something Romy uh, Alexander talks about, is having that psychological safety. But I've got to trust that I can lean into that learning, that I can can be vulnerable. I can raise my hand and and ask a stupid question, for example. I can make mistakes. I can be challenged by other learners on my viewpoints without it being for any uh, wrong reason, if you like. Uh, and I can also challenge others so I can make the most of that learning process. And if I don't have that connection with the facilitator and also with the group and I don't have the right level of self-awareness of what I'm going to gain from it, the chances are I'm going to stand back from that learning and be more of an observer rather than an uh, invested uh, participant. Yeah, yeah.
1: And the investment beforehand is definitely a huge,
0: huge plus, But I think it, it's, you know, it, I can imagine for some they might say we don't have the time for that. My response, straight away is it's going to save you so much time later. And actually, <laughs> you'll be able to step away from those learners er- earlier because they'll be so advanced in terms of their learning. At a quicker stage, they'll need less of you as they move through that journey, if that makes sense. Yeah. If we get those first parts absolutely spot on.
1: Mm. Yeah, it broke my heart how many, how many people brought up the ticking a box training in your in the whole series, so many people made reference
0: to that. It's um unbelievably common, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And I think it's um it's that challenge whereby and, and, and James and Katie talk about this in their Episode around truly making a difference. The the challenge often is as uh, what an organisation thinks learning is either just sort of a magic wand or like as they talk about certain technology or a new toy is like a magic wand that's going to fix things or they they don't gen- genuinely don't understand learning and just want to sort of almost delegate that out and not have any responsibility for for making sure it's aligned into the wider the business needs. and so, yeah. as a result, it then becomes an isolated experience. So even with a really good facilitator and really good committed learners, it's still just a tick box because it's isolated from from any kind of sense of of reality really
1: or a series or you know just long term commitment,
0: yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I know that, and this might sound controversial, and it, and it wouldn't. It's not for all contexts of learning, but I would love to have the phrase of, you know, one workshop doesn't work. Simple as that. You know, if you go you want to run a single workshop, don't kid yourself that's going to change behaviour. No.
1: It's
0: just not. I think it's not agreed on that one. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's just not going to do it. It's not going to do it. So um, let me let me remind you of another episode. I'd love to get your thoughts on. Um, So we talk about learner-led. You know, we've got that ABT model of um, Sarah Jane and and David talking through there. Um, We've got people leaning into learning like Jimbo Clark with the the box on the head and really opening up to to what's going on in their world. Uh, And we've got all the embodied stuff that Pete Hamill talks about and Lena Naziako talks about. Um, And then we had that insight into Kazuki Takatani's world with this (laughs) idea of graphic facilitation. So, And I almost see this in conjunction with that abt model you know you imagine you have this lovely collaborative challenging learning conversation going on and there by your side there is someone representing this graphically and yeah. not just representing what you're saying but also what you're not saying
1: i i was fascinated by that and that's that's it's one of the one of the ones that i was just like i just don't get it i going mean, to get it as in the concept but i don't I don't I looked at his graphics on his website and I was like, I you had to be there to really understand those pictures. They are beautiful pieces of artwork. There's no doubt about that. I and mean, he's so talented. Absolutely. And I love the way he says he's not trained in graphics or anything. He just does what is in his head or in everybody else's head and it just goes through onto the paper. It's quite amazing.
0: It's quite amazing. I mean, there's there's two parts to this. I think <clears throat> the obvious part of the takeaway at the end of it is amazing because you've got this beautiful representation of the conversation you've had, It's really good sort of visual triggers for reminding yourself of the outcomes that come out of there. But I think even more important is, is helping you progress through that conversation. If you let's take um the ABT model for a moment and let's assume you you're having the and conversation at the beginning of where they want to get to. Um, Imagine that, illustrates. So what he does isn't just illustrate what's being said. He picks up on the relationship between what's being said and what isn't being said, and he positions things in certain ways. So you can imagine as you take a bit of a breather from that session you look up, it's going to prompt all sorts of questions in your mind and probably far better conversations in the next stage that you go through. And that is just simply a talent. Yeah, it's so, extraordinary. I can't, I can't think of another word for it. It's just <laughs> to be able to... Do the, that dual focus of deeply listening to what's going on and represent that visually, like you said, beautifully—not just stick men on a uh, on a flip yeah. change.
1: Yeah, and it's the emotion. It, it's not—it's yeah. not just the words. It is the emotion that he manages to 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 illustrate that obviously makes a deep connection with the people in the room. Um, yeah. yeah, quite extraordinary.
0: Now let me put you on the, the seat here. You, you're highly trained as a coach and a fantastic coach imagine being able to share that with your clients at the end of each coaching conversation because he does this on an individual basis as well imagine as a client i've gone through six seven coaching conversations with you i've not only ever had the impact of those coaching conversations and made the desired changes i've got this beauty you know for my reflection process i've got these amazing uh, references that don't just you know, note down the words that were said, but like you said, the emotion, the connection between things to take away. I mean, what an amazing tool to have as a, um, a from the point of view of the client in that coaching process.
1: And the only thing I can liken it to is just the use of metaphor, mm-hmm. because then at least that conjures up a picture. But it, listening to him and looking at his graphics, a metaphor suddenly seems so dull and 2D in comparison whereas you know I think metaphors are quite strong and I use a lot in, in coaching um but this this takes it to another level
0: well that's a great link to the Jamie Dixon episode um right. where he talks about the story habit and um I don't know if you remember his it's such a powerful metaphor that he uses in it. I mean he's got this model around the story habit but he also utilizes this metaphor in um some learning you know, a lot of the learning sessions that he designs and runs which is about the uh, the village in the dark forest. And, and and just simply such a powerful representation of people's view of change and willingness to change and to do things differently, or also making their own stories, which is such a key part of what Jamie says. And this comes back to this idea of tick box training. Like tick box training is training that is forced upon someone and done in a certain way. He uses his story habit to say, we need to help people shape their own stories, which comes back to this common theme coming through about learner-led processes putting them at the heart of this rather than saying you're going through a fixed program that has six workshops these are the six objectives this is all the content pre-created it's bespoke but really I used it every time for the last six years and it's a fixed program and what I'm going to do as a facilitator is wow you with my charm and charisma and willingness to be your friend but in reality I'm leading through a fixed process so we wonder why people drop out at the end and haven't actually achieved the performance outcomes they're looking for. And
1: we don't even give them a multiple choice at the end to see (laughs) if they (laughs) listened.
0: Absolutely not. (laughs) And, you know, there's another little part of, I'm going back to one of the earlier episodes, which was uh, with Dr. P. um, And she does predominantly more coaching than group work. She does some group work, which does a lot of coaching, but she also talks about, and I love this phrase, the scaffolding that you create for all of the time when you're not there. Yes. I mean, this yes. is this comes back to this theme of the learner takes responsibility for stuff, but as a facilitator, you can help make sure they're doing good stuff when you're not there. So they're constantly learning and constantly applying. So that could be organising practice sessions. It could be uh, encouraging deliberate reflection. It could be anything, you know, journaling, some useful technique to, to bring to life in there. Yeah,
1: and I think that's um, uh, that's a good point. In, in, in the previous series, we talked about designing the programmes in order to do that, that's an investment for the facilitator trainer too. But that needs to be built in to what you're delivering, and the cost. You know, we can't. You know, I know it's rather vulgar to talk about it sometimes, but you know, it it is it is something that needs to be built in because it's so important.
0: Yeah, and it's um, it's the age old conversation. You know, if you if you're faced with three options, you know, and, and one is is five dollars one is $30 and one is $100, you're not going to assume they're the three same things, are you? You're going to know, you're going to explore the differences. If they turn out to be exactly the same, you're going to wonder how someone gets over to $100. But the idea is, is that you get value. So the, the price and the cost disappears and the value starts to rear its head. And I think that's one part of it. But the other part of it is what's the what's the reason for doing this? You know, if you're going to invest in learning for someone, so maybe we're talking from the stakeholder point of view now, if you're going to invest in learning something, surely there's a reason you're investing in that, which one would assume is some kind of change, some kind of significant change, really, otherwise there's no need for, for learning to get involved, if you like. Behavioural change, organisational change, whatever that might be, new core skills need to be developed. Um, so surely at that point you have to ask yourself is, do you actually want this change to happen? Or is this just some PR for the way that you run your business? If you want that change to happen, you have to do it properly.
1: Yeah.
0: An, an analogy I've used in my life all the time is, you know, if you, if you have something physically or medically wrong with yourself, um, you could go on Google and search, you know, how do I chop this out? Or how do I cut this <laughs> open and do this operation? And maybe get your partner or your friend to do it with a warmed up knife. Or you could go to a trained surgeon, and what would you do if you went to that trained surgeon or medical professional? You'd listen to their advice and you would go through the correct procedures to try and remedy whatever was wrong with you. That I think most of us, normal rational humans, would agree, where we have access to that, would agree with that, right? And I think the learning profession has often been seen as quite passive, quite um quite almost subservient almost just being told to do this or that and it's definitely time and this is something that comes across from you know james and katie's uh, conversation but also lots of really people that properly understand learning say so it's time for the learning and development profession to stand up on its feet and you know to have the confidence to push back and say we need to do it this way
1: yeah not be a second um,
0: thought in the hr department no absolutely not and and you know and that means if you want the change in behaviour to happen, if you want whatever your original purpose or intention is to be achieved and to be achieved in a high-quality way that lasts and sticks, then uh, you're unlikely to be doing it in a tick-box approach.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think James and Katie talk about that too, don't they? That they often go in um, and to be asked to do one thing and -hmm. then they go, oh, once they've dug around and they've actually properly... Gone into what the business needs is like actually this is what you need not that and that happens time and time again.
0: Well you know if you don't take um their approach what happens is you turn up on the first workshop virtually or in person and within five minutes you realize that what you've been told by the organization and what that group of people actually need is two very very different things. But then of course you've left it a bit late. Of course, good facilitators can think on their feet and change things around, but it's still a little bit too late to have organised the right quality learning at the stage, which is kind of come back to this idea of connection and practice at the start. Mm. You, know, you really start to understand exactly what's needed by the people that are going through this, then you can map out the right journey to support them and, and help them navigate that change.
1: Mm. It, it feels like, that we need to start this education in learning approaches much earlier. You know, it
0: should. This should be happening in schools. All yeah. of these, you know, yeah, types I mean, techniques. Emma, you, we could have, we could have such a long conversation about oh, yeah. <laughs> schools and learning, but I think there's a really important part you've made there. And I'm gonna. There's a spoiler alert. This is someone I'm going to try and get an, an episode for series three because she talks an enormous amount of sense, and um, it's quite a refreshing approach. Um, an individual in the UK that talks about marketing for learning. And and one of the things she does with her business is goes into organisations to work with the L&D teams to help them uh, market and get people excited in the organisation about the possibilities of what learning can can offer. Um, But, but, you know, that's a particular service she provides. But it is, unfortunately, we do need to do a PR job and a marketing job on on how learning works and and almost have some, you know, some sort of almost um, concreted in factors that says if we're going to run a learning journey if we're going to build a learning program these are these are red lines around these areas these things have mm. to happen and without them let's not do a learning program you know, think find some other solution to work because without these things it's not going to actually deliver on the results that you're looking for
1: yeah looking forward to
0: that episode <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I've still got to invite her on but I'm sure we're,
1: I'm,
0: I'm sure we'll get there so I mean Gosh, we've, there's actually some episodes we haven't even touched on. I'm, I'm reminding myself as well. Way back at the beginning, near the beginning of the series, we, we you know, because you mentioned the very beginning of this about the variety. Uh, mm. and, and, uh, I love uh, the episode I had with Claire Samuels when she talked about acting and comedy. Yeah. And you know, there's different levels of this. You know, I think a lot of facilitators will have considered bringing in someone to play a certain role in some practice sessions and, and areas like that. She takes it another level and uses forum theatre in there. Uh, And she really brings comedy to life in learning. You know, there's a rather cheap throwaway phrase about learning should be fun. You know, we thought you'd enjoy going to learning, but really we want learning to be challenging and difficult. But what we do know in the way the brain works is that when we're laughing, it's really sticking. Yeah. So the idea of bringing comedy in is very different to making it fun. And I love the conversation we had around bringing real genuine comedy to a learning experience you can imagine you know if you if you walk out of a or you you close down your zoom session and you've almost been crying with laughter (laughs) that is going to stick with you for a long long time isn't it absolutely
1: yeah and not be comfortable for everybody so that you know that Mm. also get that feeling of out of your comfort zone which is another you know phrase that we all use
0: yeah and and this is this is something that came through and I think I remember Pete in the embodied learning episode talked mm. about Pete Hamill about, and this is a phrase that any facilitator should be familiar with, but you know, helping people become comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. And when you can embrace that level of discomfort, then you sort of open up all of your learning filters, don't you? And mm. you can you can you're not shying away from it and protecting yourself. You kind of open yourself up saying, I'm ready to absorb all of the stuff that's thrown at me. Mm. Um was uh,
1: that know,
0: was that the one where you were where you were, were dancing? You were having to dance because it didn't no, make sense. No, that, that was Lena's one. Was on body you That know, was What Pete said, he just used a particular example, I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this again because it's on the podcast. Just this beautiful way of being uncomfortable. So he, he was talking about a client that he'd worked with, who who wanted to improve his influencing skills, and yeah. this was a senior leader. And you know, we're talking about someone with a lot of experience in life at a fairly senior level in a very big important organization. And one of the tasks Pete set him over the period of time they're working was to take as many London taxi cabs as he could the black taxi cabs you, if you you know, you know you know London you know what those cab drivers are like. And he told him to purposefully debate something quite controversial with every cab driver he got That's in that. Really for anyone who's never travelled in a London cab, I can tell you right now, these are the these are the strongest, most opinionated drivers around. Yeah. They have such a strong, almost an unmovable view on, on facts of life, don't they? Absolutely. Like, and again, I love that creativity of, mm. and also the trust you're putting in, a, in, in the person you're working with. You're not there as a facilitator. You're not doing this for them. You're creating an opportunity for them to, Learn at a very deep level, um, yeah. and yeah. So over, I think it was almost over the course of a year, he was working with this this gentleman, you know, building up his ability to influence by. And it wasn't even about having success. It wasn't about him having to influence the cab driver. It's just it practice Just having the, yeah.
1: the practice, practice, practice.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's Much interesting. Like but it's it, having this conversation with you Emma, has just reminded me how you know we've got seventeen really really different episodes, but some really common themes go. Mm all of them, don't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the neuroscience?
0: Gosh. We haven't even touched on that, have we? Right.
1: Right. I mean, that's a complicated um, subject and and very interesting.
0: Do you know, the biggest takeaway for me from that is that it ties into something True Black talks about as well, which was the episode directly after Magda, who's talking about neuroscience. And... Between the both of them, they really hit home about um, if you genuinely want to be great as a facilitator, great as a coach and as a trainer, you have to constantly be updating your knowledge, your awareness, your abilities to do this. Uh, And this is something True speaks about a lot. He says, you know, if you're not at the sort of forefront of all of the research into learning, education, adult work... um, you're missing a trick here as a facilitator. You know, don't be relying on the same tired old theories or models or ways of doing things you might have done two to three years ago, continuously update you. And then if you listen to, to Magda, who has put herself through, she, she you know, Magda quite honestly says, you know, she wasn't claiming to be you know, the world's leading exponent on neuroscience, she's just recognised that it is an absolute encyclopaedia of rich new learning for anyone involved in learning. And there's almost endless capacity to stretch your understanding of how you can work with people the more you understand how the brain works. Yeah. Uh, and that really hit home with Magda's one. So it's less about um, some of the latest thinking in neuroscience. It's more about... This is a field that is very, very rich for facilitators to be embraced in and learning from in order to be at the top of their absolute game.
1: Mm. I love that word rich. They use that there because that's, I mean, I, again, I mean, I, I totally agree um, in her case, but that's one of the other common themes. It is, it's rich with passion, connection, um, you know, knowledge, emotion, it's
0: it's really rich, and maybe that's you know we can maybe bring all of this together in one. And you know, and actually, is this is this is a reflection that talking to you, Emma, has made me realise. Looking back at who we've talked about and all the amazing sharing they've done of their areas of expertise and their their little nuggets of, of brilliant ways of doing this, is saying that you know, done well, learning is a very very high quality. Process and you know, as a facilitator, to work with someone to do it really, really well, you need to be at a very, very high level. You know, if yes. you really want that behavioural change to stick, for people to get exactly what they need from the journey they go through, um, you have to do this at a very high quality level. It cannot be left to you no. Know, all of these things we talked about can't be left to chance.
1: No. 100% agree.
0: And then we get that sticky learning that we're talking about. Yeah. Emma, I, I love you know, I'm, I'm hoping our listeners have gained something from listening to this review of the episodes, and maybe they're prompted to go back and dive into some of the episodes there. But you know what? I find this hugely useful because it, you know, I record these, I chat to these amazing people over the course of three or four months. Um, but by talking to you, we go back and, and realize there's some real hidden gems in there um, yeah. that people have very generously, you know, genuinely and generously shared. That um, almost provides a bit of a library of how you can deliver high-quality learning journeys. Essentially, yeah,
1: and it's made me want to sit in the room in every single one of them.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, they. You know, I, I can't thank them enough. They're they're just in, inspirational individuals, and uh, yeah. you know, the challenge now is to get season three underway and uh, and see where that takes us uh, on this journey.
1: Yeah, i they're out there, so.
0: They are definitely, they're definitely out there. Emma, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for taking the time to A listen and B <laughs> share your thoughts and reviews. Now, um, Emma, you're you're brilliant and, and you have a great insight into learning as a coach yourself. So I mean if people want to find out more about you and, and maybe connect with you and chat with you, where, where do they find you? Where do you hang out?
1: Best place to hang out is uh LinkedIn. Yep. Um just Emma Spence on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me there. I will, I can message from there. and uh, Yeah, I'll be updating that with this episode and uh, with my my latest changes in the uh, job. So that's awesome.
0: where to find me. Emma, thank you so much. And if anyone wants to find out more about us, you can find me on LinkedIn. Mark Williams and Draftpad should do the job. And our website is giraffepad.com if you want to check out all of our podcast episodes. And obviously they're on all of the uh, apps of choice. Thank you for listening to season two. We won't be far off getting season three underway. Um, And uh, yeah, with more brilliant people talking about sticky learning solutions. Brilliant. Thanks, Emma. Thanks again.
1: You're welcome. See you at the end of Series 3.
0: Absolutely. Bye for now.